Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Department of Labor and OSHA in particular stands ready to work with companies on keeping their workers safe as we continue to move through this phase of the pandemic. This issue of getting inflation under control should be the principal issue. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Jay Powell is getting confirmed, and his job is to give Republicans a reason to stick with him. We probably won't get all of the Build Back Better we presented to the Senate, but we can get big, important pieces of it. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. One year down, and we have a lot to talk about on the fastest hour in politics. Welcome to a special edition of Bloomberg Sound On. As President Biden marks the first anniversary of his swearing in, we take stock of where we've been this past year and what's ahead. With some of the smartest minds in politics, we'll talk with Bloomberg White House reporters Nancy Cook and Josh Wingrove about their new piece for Bloomberg Business Week about year one. And we'll share insights later with political scientist Laura Brown and the panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us. And it's a rare pleasure to welcome two key members of the Bloomberg White House team, reporters Nancy Cook and Josh Wingrove with us in studio. Happy anniversary to both of you. <laughs> Is that you. how that goes? <laughs> one year in. Uh, you have a great piece for Bloomberg Business Week marking the president's first year. And I want to start with you both, though, on the way that he wrapped the year in his news conference last night and specifically his comments on Russia and Ukraine. This was the remark that prompted headlines last evening. Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor and Incursion, and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, et cetera. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia. So everyone seized on the line. It depends on what it does. And that led to an immediate cleanup statement from the press secretary, Jen Psaki, reiterating the White House policy. The cleanup continued overnight into this morning with the president himself. I've been absolutely clear with President Putin. He has no misunderstanding. If any, any assembled Russian units move across the Ukrainian border, that is an invasion. Pretty definitive. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. We'll continue to make very clear that if Moscow chooses the path of further aggression, we will impose swift and massive costs. So, Nancy, has that been cleaned up? <laughs> I think that it, the the cleanup will last likely all day today. I think that people were just really um, taken aback by the fact that President Biden basically said if it was a minor incursion, they may not, yeah, you know, like suffer. Yeah, there were grades of right, invasion. right. There was like a spectrum of invasion, and and if you were on the lower spectrum, you wouldn't uh, experience the same economic sanctions. Yeah. And so they've really walked and cleaned that cleaned that up today. Um, and I think it's a, a real big risk for the White House moving forward. You know, so much of the first year was about COVID and the economy and the domestic agenda. I think that our piece gets into the idea that the second year will have to touch on some foreign policy things, specifically mm -hmm. with Russia and China. And the president is sort of kicking off year two by making this 
uh, gaffe that's not totally in line with what the White House's messaging yeah. has been on what will happen to Russia if it invades Ukraine. Before we dig more into the piece, Josh, two hours on TV means a lot of tape. A lot of tape for the opposition, a lot of tape for reporters. Did President a lot, a lot Biden of tape for Russian state media? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> so, did he hurt himself with this news conference, or, or help himself? I mean, it depends on the audience that you're looking at. He gave fodder to everyone, no doubt. And you know, they're cleaning up not only this one answer on on Ukraine, but also the answer on voting rights. Um, you know, there's a little bit of cleanup that comes with every president um but you know they for you know they were trying to give this sort of image of like you know vigor and like uh, you know on his feet kind of thing for nearly two hours and what you know in the end there was a lot of news out of it including this gaffe now what they're what they're essentially saying when it comes to minor incursion is you can do a lot of stuff to mess with ukraine without russian troops crossing the border Mm. they're talking about cyber attacks they're talking about the sort of quote-unquote little green men that we saw in the donbass to agitate the situation talking about paramilitary things and not only was it a gap it kind of actually hinted at something that our reporting of our colleagues nick wadhams and others and other uh, other news agencies had only put on on uh, attributed to sources, which is that NATO is a little divided on mm-hmm. what to do if that's the case. Mm-hmm. NATO is all on the same page if troops march across the border. You know, everyone knows what to do with that. But if it's this sort of more small ball, clandestine, like yeah. you know, by the night sort of stuff, NATO is of mixed mind on how hard to go on sanctions. So that that's the the problem that they're going to be in. So if Putin takes the invitation and starts doing that stuff, we're going to see those divisions. So when we see a performance like that, I guess I'll ask you, Nancy, uh, from President Biden over the course of two hours. I'm sure people in the press office are pulling their hair out. Yeah. What do you make of these two honest moments that that are are not very Washington? But get people in a lather when he goes to the podium. Well, Biden has been in Washington, you know, for years. He was mm-hmm. in the Senate for 36 years. He was vice president for eight years. This is part of his trademark political persona, making these gaffes or these, um, you know, off the cuff statements that Uncle people Joe. can misinterpret. Of course, and and so I think it's what his press office, uh, you know, fears on a daily basis when he takes questions from reporters. Mm. Um, but I also think that they felt like, uh, you know, what could they lose because the the last week was so bad and so rough for them in terms of the voting rights legislation and Build Back Better, the president's sweeping social agenda. And it just seems like things are really stalled out for them and they haven't done a good job of selling what they actually have passed already. And so I think that they took a risk with the press conference. And then we turn to the headline in your piece. Right. One year into his presidency, Biden hits a wall. Can he recover, you ask? And you start by painting the picture that Joe Biden had in mind for the start of this year, what it should have been, a world in which COVID was over, the economy growing strongly, the bulk of his agenda passed on Capitol Hill. It reminds me of a question asked last evening. Uh, did you overpromise for your first year? Here's what he said. I did not anticipate that there'd be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done. So is that a fair assessment, the way he answered that question? Well, I think that what... What struck Josh and I so much is that when we reported, we reported a piece on his first 100 days, Biden's first 100 days, and and there was a real sense of optimism. They were distributing the vaccine. Um, you know, schools were slowly reopening. Uh, the government was returning to a little bit of a sense of normalcy, like President Biden does not tweet at 9 p.m. on a Friday night. Mm. Um, and there was a sense inside the White House that they would have his economic agenda sort of passed already and that they would go into the second year in a totally different position. That has not 
not been the case. And I would argue that sort of the, the downfall really started for them with the Afghanistan withdrawal. Yeah. And then it just really picked up steam with the economic agenda not passing and voting rights. And Democrats on the Hill are nervous about the midterms. And progressives are mad at him about voting rights. And black voters are mad at him. And so it's just really been sort of a snowball thing. And usually you see presidents kind of stalled out or their agenda stuck in like year at the end of year two or three of their presidency, he's sort of facing that much earlier. Yeah, uh, Everyone seems to want to seize on the Afghanistan withdrawal as the turning point, Josh, and, and, and you may feel that same way. If it had been a successful withdrawal, would it feel different right now? I'm not sure it would feel that different. You know, the White House at least attributes, you know, the current, you know, bad ditch that they're in to COVID, right? Mm-hmm. We're dealing with Omicron. It feels like we're never getting out of this again. Everyone was scrambling for tests. And remember, at the same time of Afghanistan, it was a double whammy because that was happening with Delta as well. We were right back to, you know, suddenly cases were soaring again. Everyone thought this new threat. You know, remember, they had at the time said that with two vaccines, you could take off your mask in public and everything. And then we sort of realized that the science is changing. These new variants uh, mean that nothing is is all that certain. So I, I think that they attribute a lot of the doldrums to COVID. Mm-hmm. And they think that they're, you know, beginning to be cautiously optimistic that the worst of Omicron is either with us now or starting to be a little bit behind us. They haven't said this publicly, but this came out in our reporting that, look, you know, they, 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 they when, when it arrived, we knew it was more contagious, more transmissible, they yeah. would say, and that it packed a bigger punch or packed, it packed a punch, but not as big a punch as Delta. Excuse me. I think they are starting to see that that is the case, maybe even a little bit weaker of a punch. And that it, even though the numbers are very high, we're not seeing a, 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 a continued acceleration of cases. So, sure. so I think they're banking a lot on people putting COVID behind them. Kind of like and, they were this time last right, year. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so then it's like events, you know, happen, you know. And uh-huh. so we're going to maybe see a new variant. We're going to maybe see, God, you know, who knows, Russia, China, pick pick your wild card. Yeah, and sure. any one of these things will, will derail things again potentially for them. Nancy, was Joe Manchin the most important person in Joe Biden's life? last year? He was. I do feel like when you talk to White House staffers, the amount that they think about Joe Manchin's thoughts and feelings and current state of mind, it's amazing. (laughs) And I do think that that was a big part of their problem, too. You know, they did win the Senate um, with those two Georgia Senate seats. But what ended up happening was the margins were so slim that, you know, their agenda has really been halted on two key things by Senators Manchin and Cinema, And that has just been become a big obstacle. Um, and, and that's not going to change um, over the next year either. So that's something they're just going to have to brush up against. And I think part of the problem, back to your question about overpromising, is President Biden spent so much time sort of touting his 36 years in the Senate and how he was you know, good at reaching across the aisle and good at making deals and understood Congress. And mm-hmm. and that really hasn't panned out for everything. And I think that they've gotten some blowback there. So what will define uh, this new year? Can he recover? You're asking in your headline. Is it COVID? Is it the midterms, Josh? Is it something else? Well, they, it, it, those are, I can think it's, again, double-barreled. If yeah. COVID is bad, they're, uh, whatever slim hope they have of holding the House is probably shot. Yeah. So... You know, they, they, their dream scenario is COVID falls uh, off or at least goes down to that endemic stage where it's, we're not all, all that fussed about it uh, every day, uh, that inflation uh, eases off, uh, which, of course, doesn't mean prices go down. It just means they rise less quickly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people will still be pay- paying fairly high prices uh, and then things get back to normal. And that is their hope to actually try to maybe hold one or both chambers. Uh, if that doesn't happen, then Joe Biden's going to have a pretty 
uh, rough two years after that. He's not going to be able to get a lot done, and that adds urgency to try to pass what he's called chunks of this Build Back Better agenda. I find this funny. He's got a cartoon, Joe, in his uh, in the White House framed where a man is screaming into the heavens, why me? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, God shouts back, why not? And I think that gives his sort of state of mind of all the things he's having to deal with right now. When are you guys going to write a book together? <laughs> I'll give Nancy the weekend off. She, she had an adventure in Wilmington this last yeah, weekend. Yeah, I was in Wilmington. I, yeah, let, give, give me a Saturday out of the office and not in Wilmington and then, then ask me. I think this piece is evidence that it's already being written. Nancy Cook and Josh Wingrove, really great pleasure to be in the same room. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on Sound On. That is a book I want to read. We're just getting started on the fastest hour in politics and coming up. We'll assemble the panel on a special edition Jeannie and Rick are next on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. In Washington, this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. One year ago, at this moment, the parades were winding down and the new president was ensconced in the White House, where he held a signing ceremony to mark a National Day of Unity. Remember that? May seem a bit quaint on this first anniversary. But let's talk to the panel about it one year later. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis have been with you for every turn, every crisis, every stage of this first year, and they're with us now. Jeannie, President Biden's approval ratings are at their lows one year after his swearing in. Depending on the poll you look at, some are worse than where Donald Trump was. Are they deserved? Well, and Joe Biden told us yesterday he doesn't think about the polls. He doesn't believe yeah, he doesn't in them. Believe. So, <laughs> you know, he sounds a bit like all the other presidents that have come and gone. Um, you know, the polls, they can be believed. They can also be changed. I mean, they change, uh, you know, a good deal. So you can have a president like Bill Clinton had low approval ratings. They were able to change those around. So it really depends on how he goes forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the challenge for Joe Biden is how is he going to move forward? And yesterday, he told us he's going to get out of D.C., invite in scholars and other people to talk to him, and he's going to focus on the midterms. But I think what he needs to do is I think he needs to focus on getting some small wins in the legislative arena and getting the pandemic behind us and dealing with inflation. So, you know, I, I was a little bit surprised by that answer, but I think a lot of that is going to depend. If he can't turn inflation around, if it remains high, mm-hmm. he's going to have a bad year going into the midterms. In terms of where they are now, though, Rick, you know polling as well as anyone. Do you believe that they reflect the electorate? Yeah. I mean, polls are only accurate on the day they're taken, but they do demonstrate a trend, right? I mean, like, that's what you look at in these surveys, is what direction are voters headed? When you look at the surveys as a whole, and they are all pretty consistent on this, uh, voters are getting more and more uh, uh, upset with the Biden administration, upset with the policies of the Biden administration. I mean, they may be working really hard to pass these policies, but if voters aren't buying into it, uh, then then they've got a problem. And and that's one of the things that's uniquely different with Biden and with Trump. I mean, people kind of like Trump policies, but they thought he was a jerk. 
So his personal ratings were always lower than his job approval. And the mm-hmm. job approval wasn't great. With Biden, it's the opposite. His mm-hmm. job approval is in the, in the, in the, in the hole. And, and, and yet people think of him personally as someone they like. And I think there is an opening to try and get the job approval up to where his personal approval ratings are. And that means that he's got to quit going to Capitol Hill. He's got to quit. He's got to ignore the rest of Washington Hmm. and go out on his own agenda, take it to the American public, like what he was talking about yesterday, get on the road and be the Joe Biden people like and talking about things that uh, frankly are more popular than some of these policies that he's been trying to pass in Washington. Well, let's talk about the rest of Washington for a moment, because the president, of course, promised to reach across the aisle and seek compromise. That was the deal here, uh, right, when he uh, delivered his inaugural address. Republicans say they've been shut out, though, in this first year. Uh, They held a a leadership briefing today, a news briefing, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Prior to the president's office, we were in a pandemic. Every single bill we did dealing with COVID was bipartisan. We sat in a room with leaders on the other side, administration, and we worked it all out. The minute he became president and they controlled the House and Senate, no longer were Republicans invited into the room. Is that a fair assessment, Jeannie, from what you know? Uh, no, I don't think that's entirely fair. I, I thought Mitch McConnell, uh, sorry, Mitch McConnell, uh, Mitt Romney's uh, statement over the weekend about be, not being brought into the discussion on the voting rights issue, that was a fair assessment. But, you know, you, you've got to balance this out a little bit. I think that was a misstep by the Biden administration. Yeah. I think the reality here is that the Republicans were not willing to play with the Biden administration on particular aspects of this policy that they thought these policies that they thought mm-hmm. stretched too far. There was and a time so when didn't... progressives were criticizing him, Jeannie, for talking with Republicans or waiting for them to come around. They said, no, let's just go nuclear and do this alone. And they simply don't have the numbers to do that. You know, there is a school of thought that I think is has some merit, which is that Joe Biden may have been better off had he not won those two seats in Georgia. He would have been forced to work across the aisle and wow. expectations by the progressives would have been lower. But they won by the narrowest of margins. And this is where he is. So he's had to try to keep a very, very energized progressive caucus on his side. And in doing so, he's alienated some of the moderates in his own party and, of course, certainly the Republicans. That's an interesting scenario uh, to think about, Rick, because he may not keep both of those seats in Georgia. Would that force the president to sit down with the McCarthy's and McConnell's of the world? Well, I mean, if he wants to get anything passed in Congress, yes. Uh, Right now, the current scenario that I think most people are working off of, including the White House, is that the House is going to turn Republican. It doesn't Mm -hmm. take much to do that. And, And that there is a potential Republican majority in the Senate. Therefore, if he has any legislative interests on passing anything, and that, 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 that even means a budget, uh, then he's going to have to have conversations with, with whoever the speaker is. And I have no doubt that a majority leader would be Mitch McConnell. And so, uh, so, so I, I think that they got to quit worrying about this legislative agenda. I mean, they, they can't even get their own party on board. He's got the bully pulpit. If they want to try and win some seats, and, and right now I think the calculation is how do we not lose too many seats at one time, right? How do we how do we get through this election cycle, maybe with a Democratic control of the Senate and 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 at least striking distance in the House? And to Jeannie's point, get out of the Beltway. Rick and Jeannie with us for the hour. They'll be back next. We consider what the president's second year this year will look like with Laura Brown, political scientist and director 
of the Graduate School of Political Management at George Washington University. A fascinating conversation ahead, and we'll check traffic and markets for you on the way, too. Stay with us on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. A majority of Americans, 56 percent, disapprove of the job that Joe Biden is doing as president, according to new polling from the Associated Press, Nork Center for Public Affairs Research. These numbers out today. And so the president is planning to hit the road this year. We'll talk about it next with Lara Brown from George Washington University on a special edition of Sound On. One year later, President Biden's getting the itch to travel, which is not uncommon after being locked in the bubble for year one, his former boss, Barack Obama, said just about the same thing around this time. And White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki told reporters today that the president in his travels will not be alone. What that looks like on the schedule, we're still determining that. Um, but uh, it certainly means you'll see him out on the road more. Uh, you'll see him probably bring members of Congress uh, with him uh, on Air Force One, as he's done recently. And he's really enjoyed the opportunity to be able to have those free-ranging conversations with them on the back of Air Force One. And it means you'll see him talking more about his agenda and what he's doing to make people's lives better. Will it help to sell the message, though, I guess is the question. Certainly with the polling I mentioned, the Associated Press Nork Center for Public Affairs Research finds 56% of Americans do not approve of the job he's doing, and only 28% say they want him to run for re-election. This is where we begin with Laura Brown, political scientist, director of the Graduate School of Political Management at George Washington University. Laura, thanks for being here. How much of this weakness is seasonal, you know, the end of the first year, the hangover versus problems that are exclusive to this Biden White House? Gosh, so that's a great question. Let me just start by saying thanks for having me on today. I do think that when we think about President Biden, what we have to realize is in some ways his presidency looks a little bit like the stock market, right? We've seen some tremendous highs some impressive achievements, yeah. but we've also seen some setbacks. And yeah, this is a tough day for that comparison, Laura. It is, because obviously, not unlike um, the stock market, his stock is down this January. Mm. And I think that that is fair. But it's also true that this administration has passed really significant legislation, both the coronavirus relief package um, early on, and then, of course, the bipartisan infrastructure deal in the fall. Those are going to continue to reap dividends in terms of what it means for the American people. They'll see roads under construction. They'll see projects um, being started. And I think that's important for Americans. But really, when we look at the numbers, we know that President Biden is suffering because of inflation mm -hmm. and because of COVID. And until both of those things get more under control, I think we're not going to see a rebound in his approval ratings um, quickly. Well, so you grab the two. These are the two issues that this White House hoped we would not be talking about, right? These are the two things that a president can't really control. I know that the this administration's been busy trying to put in place 
uh, uh, policies to fight COVID. A lot of them have been turned back. The big one was that OSHA ruling in the Supreme Court uh, just recently. And when it comes to inflation, well, my goodness, you can only defer to the Fed so often. So you just highlighted the two issues. Correct me if I'm wrong, that this president has the least ability to affect. Well, I think that's right. But I also would argue that the conditions themselves are really likely to improve over the next year. So I do think in some ways he has the wind at his back if he can continue to keep a consistent message about the reality that jobs are coming back, unemployment has fallen over 5% during his presidency, and it's now really about how do we solve the rest of the problems in the supply chain and labor yeah. shortages and all of that will, I think, continue to shake out over this next year. So if we follow, though, your stock market comparison, you're buying the dip in the Biden White House. You're right. I am. Because I think one of the things that is not really sort of taken in is that the Republicans are much more divided about their future. Huh than the Democrats are about theirs. So well, now how come we, you say that? Because we hear about this. Nancy Pelosi referred to the Democratic Party today as a kaleidoscope. Uh, forget the big tent. We're on, to, we're on to new measures at this point. And Republicans have been uh, fairly well united in at least opposing this administration. What do you have in mind? Well, opposition is easy. Yeah. Okay, so it is easy for Republicans to stand united in opposition to Biden and the Democrats. It is very difficult once they get into their own primary campaigns and we see former President Trump and um, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy starting to endorse different candidates and backing different perspectives about the future of the Republican Party. That argument has yet to break into the open, and it is coming. Whereas Democrats may differ on policies, they are not going to differ on personnel. And I think this is where um, we are likely headed toward okay. a much more raucous election season than I think many are expecting. But you still could have some very angry progressives Right, who are being uh, challenged, or even if they're reelected, that progressive uh, moderate problem that we have right now in the Democratic Party could also be amplified by the campaign season. It could, but it does seem to me that Democrats have sort of more strategy about how they are going to approach candidates. I think yeah. the most difficult part for for Democrats is they've got a lot of senior House members who have decided to already retire. And that's where those vacant seats are going to pose pickup opportunities for Republicans. So what's your counterintuitive view here on, on the outcome? Do you, do you believe, like most, that we follow history, Democrats lose Capitol Hill or at least the House? Well, I assume that the Republicans have the advantage in terms of history. There is yeah. no doubt about that. But I think it's also important to realize that Republicans picked up a lot of seats in 2020. So their opportunities may not be as great as, say, they were in, in 2010. And this is where we could end up with, um, I think, many fewer pickups on the Republican side than the current market is pricing in. Let's Democrats keep way. the Senate? 
Um, you know, I think that's all going to depend on who the candidates are in yeah. those purple states. And we need to figure that out. But looking forward to talking with you, Laura Brown, a political scientist, director of the Grad School of Political Management at GW University. Great conversation and interesting insights. A lot to think about. We'll reassemble the panel next. Jeannie and Rick are ahead on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Could Joe Manchin end up being the one who saves the new year for President Biden? That's how politics work, right? Opponent one day, friend the next. I bring it up as progressive Democrats take aim. Have you been on Twitter today? They're just they're killing Manchin and Senator Kirsten Cinema, some of them elected officials for blocking the attempt to kill the filibuster last night to pass voting rights legislation. That's just the latest in a line. Speaker Nancy Pelosi today, though, briefing reporters says that's not the right move, not right now. Well, I think people will say what they're going to say. I have not encouraged that. In fact, I have discouraged it uh, because we are a giant kaleidoscope here, Democrats and Republicans. You never know who's going to be in the design of the next bill. Uh, and and uh, so we have to be uh, respectful. Uh, but I have not... I've, discouraged people from making comments about them. A giant kaleidoscope. I guess she was talking about everybody there, to be fair. I referred to that earlier in our conversation with Lara. Let's reassemble the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shenzano, Rick Davis with us here. Isn't that the way this goes, Rick? Should should President Biden keep, uh, you know, friends, close enemies closer when it comes to passing anything? If there's going to be any movement this year, he's still going to need these two senators. He's going to need those two senators to get anything done, and there are things that he can get done. Uh, the uh, most pressing thing, uh, less than a month now, the budget is going to be up. The continuing resolution will expire, and and he'd like to get an omnibus uh, bill that has some extra defense spending and maybe some extra domestic spending. So yeah. that could be a nice little recovery from his current doldrums. But I really don't think that he should be thinking about the success of his presidency now lies in Congress. The success of his presidency is going to lie on the economy, jobs, and foreign policy. And none of those things require a lot of congressional support. What do you make of that scenario, uh, Jeannie? Can you imagine a world in which President Biden, Joe Manchin, and, I don't know, Kirsten Cinema are out there at the stakeout in the driveway in front of the rest wing saying, we have a deal on an omnibus, and it includes a new stimulus, or whatever that might be, child tax care credit, whatever it is. Stranger things has hap- have happened. I think yeah. it could very well happen. I think it is, I agree with Nancy Pelosi, it is understandable that Democrats are frustrated, but they've also got to understand they would not have the Senate at all without those two individuals. And there's almost nobody in either of those states that are Democrats beyond those two that could win those seats. So, you know, that is the reality. If they want more power, they've got to win more elections. And beyond that, the president is going to have to do what 
what Barack Obama said to do. You've got to use the pen. You've got to use the phone. We should see some executive actions out of him. Hmm. He's going to have to try to use what limited power he has with executive actions and the power to persuade to get out and get as much as he can done in this next year. And I think he can get some small wins. And he talked about that a bit yesterday. I think he should focus on that as we move forward. To your point, Rick, uh, the piece that Josh Wingrove and Nancy Cook wrote that we talked about at the beginning of the hour, uh, they say there are events that could turn things around for Biden, namely a fall in COVID cases, easing inflation, and a continued rebound of the economy. Those are the three most elusive things for this president, are they not? I, I don't know if they're the most elusive, um, but I would say those are the things, I agree with that, that those would help buoy his, his administration and his job approval numbers between now and 2022, right? Yeah. As opposed to getting election. a bill passed, though, or signing a piece of paper. I mean, COVID, this is a global pandemic. J- J- Joe Biden isn't going to fix that on his own. That's right. And and yet um, those things he has to rely upon because, you know, he set out to fix it and he mm-hmm. realized it's a lot harder to do. He didn't set out to create inflation. And that's another one that he's got to get under control. So those things are not easily managed by him, but he has to rely on the fates of the gods politically to get some support for those things not becoming as big an issue a year from now as they are today. So that's where we are, Jeannie. You're you're praying to God for year two? (laughs) If you're Joe Biden, you are. And he had some real successes in the pandemic. And yet, as Rick was just talking about, there's events that he can't control. But, you know, just look at the vaccination number that he talked about at the top of the, the press conference yesterday. That is a very impressive thing he was able to do, as was the was the amount of money he was able to get Congress to pass to invest. So he's had some success there, but there's going to have to be more. And of course, inflation is intimately tied to his ability to handle the pandemic. The uh, February 18th deadline that you mentioned, Rick, is a big one. Uh, Do we see another continuing resolution while they work on something larger? Are you actually hearing from your sources that we, we get a real budget? Yeah, my friends in the appropriations process are anxious to get a budget. They don't want to uh, go through a continuing resolution again. They'd love to get a number that the administration and Congress can sign off on and then put that into an omnibus and then work it out for the rest of the year. So it's it's achievable. And the congressional leadership, uh, bipartisan, uh, and the Appropriations Committee in the Senate are already, mm-hmm. already working toward that end. So I wouldn't count them out just now. If there is a continuing resolution, hopefully for their purposes, it would only be a very short short gap uh, until they get their work done. It would be a refreshing moment. Jeannie, what would be the the top one or two things, though, if you're Joe Biden, that you want to try to attach to that omnibus? Would it be uh, universal pre-K, something people can agree on? I think it should be something that you can get bipartisan support on that people agree on. Universal pre-K is a good one because it is something that the other Joe supports because he has it in his state. That's right. What do you think about that, Rick? Is Is it free community college, something that fell off the table in year one? I think there are two things to it. Um, things that are acceptable to both uh, Mansion and Cinema, both yeah. on the revenue side and on the program side, but that it can also get Republican support. And That's those a things short list. are. It's a short list, but look again. The, the, the success of your administration is not the Hail Mary pass to Congress. I yeah. mean, he should tell the leaders, if you've got stuff that is over the top that you want to do, fine, I'll sign it. You work on it and get it to me when you've got it done. But if he could get a bipartisan budget passed, get rid of the Trump budget that he's currently working under, that would be seen as a good, successful legislative Government agenda working. between now and Election Day. And he needs that competence restored in his administration.
Neither of you have mentioned foreign policy, and I know where there are a lot of different things we could talk about. But in our, our remaining 30 seconds, Jeannie, how important will Russia and China be to making this a successful year? Critically important. It, you know, if he has a if if Russia invades, depending on how he responds, if anything happens in Taiwan and all of the unexpected things that can happen, it could really upend his presidency or he can, you know, handle it powerfully and it could be a positive thing for him. But so much out of his control in the foreign policy arena. That's for sure. We're talking largely about issues out of his control here. Big thanks to Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, as always. Well, we survived the first year. And they're going to be with us for the second one, I tell you. But this is the day that we think back on where we've been. And God knows we've been through a lot this year. Today, we're finally getting this done. So my message to the American people is this. America's moving again, and your life is going to change for the better. Now, President Biden enters his second year in office, facing a cascade of perils at home and overseas. When I was 17, it was a very good year. My dad used to say, Joey, a job is about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about your dignity. It's about respect. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. We'd hide from the lights. And man, did I like that 57 Ford Fairlight. <laughs> That's what got me through school. That I will faithfully execute. That I will faithfully execute. The office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. Oh, boy. This is not a kumbaya moment, as they used to say back in the 60s in the United States, like, let's hug and love each other. But it's clearly not in anybody's interest. Your country's or mine. For us to be in a situation where we're in a new Cold War. When I was 21. And the bottom line is the virus is on the run and America's coming back. It was a very good year. We're coming back together. The president's been doing this a while. It was a very good year. 36 years in the Senate, with all due respect. Mr. Manchin is opposed to that, as is, uh, um, I think, Senator Sinema is as opposed well. Opposed to all of them? Opposed to all three. He does have the buy-in um, from his caucus here in the House. Uh, and, you know, I do hope that these senators are actually going to be on board with the framework. Joe, Joe's not a bad guy. I mean, he's a friend. And he's always, at the end of the day, come around and voted. What I see are shell games, budget gimmicks that make the real cost of the so-called $1.75 trillion bill estimated to be almost twice that amount. Some people may call what's happening now the new normal. I call it a job not yet finished. But now the days are short. So help you, God. So help me, God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The only thing I don't like about having Secret Service back, I can't drive my fast cars anymore. I think of my life as vintage wine. He was candid, and he was candid about where the negotiations stood. The president will defend his record, a record so far at a news conference today. I did not anticipate that there'd be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done.
The polls are going to go up and down and up and down. They were high early, then they got medium, then they went back up, and now they're low. Well, look, this is uh, look look at every other president. The same thing has happened, but that's not why I ran. I didn't overpromise, and what I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.